Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. Well, good morning. Oh, it's so good to be here. Hey, well, Romans 8, it starts off exploding with this amazing truth. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, has there ever been a more powerful therefore? Um, and doesn't it just make you want to paint your face blue like Wallace and Braveheart and, and instead of screaming or yelling, freedom, well, no condemnation. Oh, gosh, I cannot pull that off. I think Jeremy Shelley should come on stage, put on a kilt and paint his face blue. I think he would do it much better. Jeremy? No. Okay. Um, yeah, anyway, but this is how Romans began. And then it ends with an amazing promise that there is no way that we can be separated from the love of God. And in between, it is packed with so many powerful verses, which led Bible scholar N.T. Wright to call Romans 8 a veritable feast of Pauline themes that carries the power of the gospel in every breath. He says, if the church would hoist its sails and catch the wind of Romans 8, there is no telling what might happen. And so that's why we want to encourage some of you to memorize this chapter. I mean, it's just 39 verses, right? Um, and if you do, Ross will take you out for dinner. Um, you can pick wherever you want, I'm sure. Um, or you could read this chapter every day for two weeks and just see what God does in you and for you. So today we're going to focus in on one of the things, one of the major themes in the chapter, and start off with a little more scripture, and then we're going to practice it. So hang on. Um, in verse 1, you know, we learn there's no condemnation. And why? Because verse 2 Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there's a new law is leading you away from sin and death, and that is the Spirit of God. And we're not just free from the bondage of the law. We are free to live in the power of the Spirit. I mean, it's somewhat similar to someone who was on death row row being told, Hey, you know what? We just found some new DNA evidence, so you're going to get out now. And on top of that, you're going to just be set free with winning a billion-dollar lottery, right? Because I just do not think that most of us, I know I don't, I don't truly take advantage or understand the freedom that God is giving us to live in. And so that's what we're going to focus on today, what it means to be set free to live in the power of the Spirit. So Paul is going to be talking about the flesh, which describes our sin nature, and it's that part of us that's against God. Um, and then the, the spirit that's in the in this context here, um, Paul is referring to God's own spirit. So in verse 3, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, and in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So Jesus did what we couldn't do, right? He fulfilled the law for us so that we don't have to live according to the flesh, but we get to live to the Spirit. And so what does it mean to live according to the Spirit? Well, Paul says, For those, those who are living in according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So living in the Spirit means that we are going to be focusing and setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Paul goes on to explain this. The mind governed by the flesh is death, 
But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you're not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So there's a couple of points here. Um, First of all, Paul is saying, if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. That's the word live there. does not mean like an occasional visit, right? The Holy Spirit is a permanent resident in you. Now, some Christian traditions talk about having a second experience of the Holy Spirit after salvation, but let's be clear. You may have more experiences with the Holy Spirit, and you should have more experience, but once you ask Jesus to be your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit. And second, Paul has shared there is no hope in us to be able to bring a real change that is needed in us. Instead, it is the Spirit that is living in us that's going to change us to help us set our minds on what the Spirit wants. So having our minds set means that we're going to focus intently on something, something that will totally capture our attention and our imagination. So whatever you set your mind on, I mean, it's going to shape you. It's shape everything about you, your character, your thoughts, your actions. The 20th century Archbishop Canterbury, William Temple, he said, your religion is what you do with your solitude. So in other words, where, wherever your mind goes most naturally, um, when there is nothing else to distract it, that is what you really live for. That's your religion. Your life is shaped by what preoccupies your mind. So what do you think about? Where does your mind go when you are quiet? Real change requires us to set our minds on the spirit. And that doesn't mean that we're just going to be thinking religious ideas all day long, right? It means that we are mindful of the spirit. What does the Holy Spirit love and seek? Those are the things that we want to love and seek. But Paul, again, he says this isn't an easy task because in verse 7, the mind is governed by the flesh It's hostile to God. But then in verse 10, he tells us our hope. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the Spirit who lives in you. So as Christians, our goal is not about personal self-improvement, Although our character is going to improve as a natural byproduct, when our real goal in seeking change is how to be with the Holy Spirit, have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, because that's the game changer. And Paul goes on, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the Spirit you put to death, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I mean, there is so much in that, right? So much good stuff. But first, can you hear how Paul's words sort of echo the Israelites' deliverance from the slavery and the journey to the promised land? 
So now they were free people. Uh, but they spent years traveling through the wilderness, and it wasn't easy. I mean, there was times that they just wanted to give up. They wanted to go back to Egypt, even if it meant returning to slavery. So they wandered and strayed, and they rebelled, and they backslid into idolatry, but they hung on. And by God's guidance and provision, they finally landed, arrived in the land which was given to them as inheritance. So we, too, have been delivered from our slavery to sin, and we're on a journey to receive our inheritance as God's kids. His spirit guides and empowers us to make this journey. And sometimes it might feel like we would rather give into the flesh again because despite slavery being horrible, at least we knew how to live in slavery. Um, But this journey that Paul describes does not focus on us learning how to defeat sin. The focus here, Paul is saying, is on transforming our perceptions of ourselves, that we are moving from slaves to free children of God. And out of that understanding and relationship with the Spirit, sin can be defeated. And because even though we may be free, right, we can retain this mindset that we had as we were slaves. And Paul tells us that is a huge problem. Because being made, he says, being made slaves leads to fear. Meaning that when we believe something other than God was going to give us satisfaction or security or meaning, we become a slave to that thing. So fear naturally accompanies slavery. And fear can sound like, well, have I done enough? Like, what if I don't make it? What will I be ruined if I made this mistake? Is, is, life, ever, is life just going to blow up? Am I going to be rejected? Or maybe, you know, life just never works out. The Spirit comes to remove that fear and to assure us of our new identity. Because in the Spirit you received, um, brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, I, I absolutely love the word Abba. And even though for a moment I do get sidetracked by a 70s Swedish pop group and I start singing Dancing Queen every time I read this verse, Abba is this aromatic word for, a- aromatic word for Father. Now, there's some debate on whether Father means Papa or Daddy. And this debate is over, you know, how intimate we can be with a holy God. We believe that God wants to be really personal. So Abba is this more intimate and affectionate term of a father. And in our day, that would look more like a daddy or papa. Paul says our spirit yearns to cry Abba. And we see this yearning in how humans have this innate desire from the very beginning. They Don't you see it? To reach out for a parent as dada or papa. They look for someone to love and care for them. So even if we have really good dads, eventually they are going to let us down if for no other reason than at some point that they die. And so we go through life yearning. We are looking for fulfillment and security that a good father would give. Maybe we do that through find it, try to find it in romance or success or money. Paul is letting us know God answers that yearning in Christ. He adopts us. He releases us from slavery and fear because we aren't slaves. We are not helpless, and we don't need to be afraid. We are sons and daughters, secure in a father's love. And it's this assurance that changes our view on everything, and it makes all the difference. And I know that as we've been going through Romans, it feels like Paul keeps talking over and over again about identity, but it's because if we don't understand who we are in Christ, we are going to be frustrated in our faith because things are just not going to make sense. We do not have to be afraid of any circumstance. When things don't go as planned, we don't have to freak out. Because why? You and I have an always watching, 
ever-compassionate, perfect Father who promises to be with you through everything, working out a good plan. Now, I know for some, the concept of being a child and God being their papa um, is it's a little more difficult to embrace because it may seem like it maybe it's not masculine or strong uh, to see yourself as a child that yearns for a father. But J.I. Packer, he's one of the most influential theological leaders of the past century. He said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. I mean, this is an intellectually elite man. He lived till 93. He said that every day you need to tell yourself, God is my father and I'm his child. Seems pretty simple, doesn't it? Grasping this truth flips us from being helpless slaves of the flesh to living in the power of the Spirit. As God's children, his co-heirs with Christ. So Paul goes on, he says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, the Spirit of God within us is groaning in intercession for us. I mean, that is really personal. What is he praying? And in a few verses, it will tell us that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. I mean, talk about this powerful prayer team that you have. So we know that the Holy Spirit does even more than just encourage us and empower us and remind us daily of our identity. I mean, it prays for us. In verse 27 there, can you see that Paul uses another name for God, showing us one more thing that the Holy Spirit does for us. Now, God has many names, the Almighty, the beginning and the end. And like the song we sang last week about Jireh, he is the God who provides all we need. I think my favorite name for God is Redeemer which we see so clearly in the verses that we just read, that God works for good for those who love him. I mean, like he can take anything and he can weave his goodness into it. I mean, that's just who he is. He's a redeemer. But here in verse 27, God is described as the searcher of hearts. Now, this word searcher suggests someone that's like lighting a torch and going slowly around a large dark room full of all sorts of things. And, um, and he's looking for something in particular. So God is searching for all of our hearts for things that we may want to remain hidden. So this searcher of our hearts, this is the, this really stood out to me. Because, you know, with all the crises and conflicts and pivots and changes and stuff like we've done in this past year and a half, and now we're just trying to jump back into this, what, what is it, some kind of normal, I feel like I have just run a huge marathon relay race and somewhere I'm missing something. Like I, I think I dropped the baton way back. Um, anyway, this has a lot, Um, to do with me not taking some time to tend to my soul well. And my soul or my heart, it just really felt messy, I would say yucky. So I decided, you know, I need someone to help me unpack my heart and connect with God because I'm struggling a little bit on my own here. So I reached out to a spiritual director. And this is a godly woman. She's older than me. Um, She has a doctorate in theology, for goodness sakes. Um, And so for my first session with her, I was just ready to have this soul cleanse, right? 
So I approached it a little bit like I remember C.S. Lewis saying, like, if you really want to know what's in your heart, think of it like rats in a basement. So if you really want to know if you have rats in your basement, you don't go up to the top of the steps, rattle the door a little bit, clear your throat, <clears throat> try to turn the light on, and then slowly walk down the stairs, right? Because you're never going to see a rat that way. But if you want to see rats, you suddenly open the door, flip on the lights, and if there's rats there, you'll probably see them slithering away. So here I am. I am ready to repent. I've got to clean this heart of mine. I, I just feel yucky, right? So I enter our little Zoom meeting. For the first time, this spiritual director says, hi. And then she says, well, hey, let's see what God has for you today. And so I'm thinking, no intake questions? You know, like, really? Okay, let's go. Now, the Holy Spirit works in so many ways, right? There's some of you sense the Holy Spirit more when you are studying the Bible in depth. Others sense um, more when you're in nature or when you're serving other people. Um, Ross, I know he gets dreams and um, or he gets a word. And for many of you, God gives pictures. So when I, when I pray, I often do see images in my head that I think that might be from God, and then I see if they line up with the biblical truth. You know, I'm never quite sure how God is going to show up. But he did in this Zoom meet in a way that highlights the truth about the Holy Spirit that we're learning about today. So, again, I'm in this meeting. I'm expecting some kind of roto-rooter work on my heart, right? I'm prepared for God to call me out because, you know, as Paul said, we just read, by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. So I'm ready. And the first image I see in my mind was me walking through a room and there was three really thick red velvet drapes that just hung down. You know, those ones that you would have like in a big theater or an auditorium? Now, red often represents in the Bible the blood of Christ. So when I was walking through in my mind... Um, it was like I was being covered by the blood of Christ. I then walked into a room where there were steps to climb up to, and on the top of, the, of these steps was this platform with a swivel chair, and it was surrounded by mirrors on every wall. Now, I, I am really not a fan of mirrors. I don't want to look at myself from all different areas. And So I was led to sit on this chair, having this 360 view of myself, and I'm thinking, oh my, here it goes. God is going to show me all of my misdeeds, I embraced, I'm ready, I'm going to repent, right? But instead, I sensed God was communicating, I see all of you, including your messy heart, and I love you, all of you. And I am there in this moment thinking, I am fully exposed, and I am not feeling, I'm feeling absolutely no shame. And for a German Minnesotan, that is pretty darn incredible. Um, and then in my mind, um, I saw Jesus kneel, and he washed my feet. And that was incredibly uncomfortable as well. And I said to the spiritual director, I said, I don't know, is this even biblical? Like, I should be washing Jesus' feet. And she said, well, Jesus washed the disciples' feet before he went to the cross. Now, there were some other places in, in this imagery, but the main point that God was doing was the same point that Paul is telling us here in the Scripture. This searcher of our hearts is present in each one of us. And before we ever do the work of identifying our sin and repenting, the Holy Spirit's main job is to keep drilling into our hearts and our minds the assurance that we are his kids. We are adopted. We are loved. We are welcomed. We are never to forget our privileged standing and how loved we are by him. So, and so as we end our service today, we're going to take some time to practice listening to the Holy Spirit by doing a Lectio Divina of these ending verses of, 
ending verses on Romans 8. Now, as a church, we've done this before, and some of you may do it very consistently in your personal quiet time, because there is absolutely no better way to hear the Holy Spirit than through His Word. So I'd like you, if you would, um, to put both of your feet on the floor. I'd like you to be alert but comfortable. And I'm going to read the same few scriptures over four times. And there's going to be a pause in between each one of those. Now, you don't have to read anything. Your job is just to listen. Now, it may help you to close your eyes. I'd encourage you to do so. Um, Keep a comfortable, open position just to receive a word from God. Now, as I read, um, listen for a word that God wants to highlight to you. Listen for a word or phrase that stands out to you, a word that maybe sounds louder or maybe feels more true to you. Now, it may cause somewhat of a visceral reaction, like maybe your stomach is going to turn over or maybe you tear up or um, maybe you just feel even feel some resistance to that word. Listen to find a word or a phrase that causes you to feel something. And in the silence that follows the reading, just receive that word, and I want you to savor it. Ponder it, just like if someone you love spoke to you. And I don't want you to try to figure this word out. Just receive it, savor, and just sit in the silence. So here we go. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in the silence of this moment, savor the word that you've received. going to read it for a second time and this time listen for the way in which your life is touched by this word like what in my life today needs to hear this word and in the silence that follows reflect on the way in which your life is touched by this word if god is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also with him graciously give us all things Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is my life touched by this word? Now we'll repeat it for a third time, and this time listen for an invitation. Is there an invitation from God contained in his word to you? And as you hear that invitation and the silence that follows, you'll also want to respond to God. So we're going to give a little bit longer for that silence so that you can start a conversation with God. Say whatever you need to say to God about the invitation that he's giving to you. You may feel some ambivalence about it, or a part of you might be afraid. Whatever it is that you experience in response to God's invitation, be honest with God about it in that silence that follows this reading. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, is there an invitation? And what is your response? In this final reading, receive an invitation to rest in God. In this moment, we're going to understand that that God will do whatever most needs to be done in our lives so that we don't have to worry about it. We don't have to make anything happen. We just have to be willing. We trust ourselves to God just like a child who leans against a parent that they trust so much. We lean against God knowing that everything we need is there for us in Him. He is our Abba Father, so just rest in his divine presence. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can open your eyes slowly, maybe. Um, Maybe you're surprised at the word that you received. Maybe you're wondering what you're going to do with this word. Or maybe you struggled with receiving a word. Regardless, know that practicing resting in his presence is so valuable to your connection with the Holy Spirit living within you. So as you walk living in the Spirit this week, I want you first of all to savor this word, ponder it in your heart, let it take on more meaning. And second, give space to the Holy Spirit this week that wants to give you more assurance of how loved you are, how wanted you are as his child. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much that you are so good. You are such a good father. Lord, we thank you that you desire to be personal and intimate. We thank you for the gift of this Holy Spirit that helps us to come alive, that helps us to walk in a power that makes our lives different. Lord, we pray that you would help and just bless our ability to connect more fully with you. We thank you so much for the goodness of you, who you are. I pray your blessing to rest on each person as we savor the goodness of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.